The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When a house bursts into flames with a family trapped inside of it, it's a tragic event. And then we meet a young woman who's got a new job overseas. She's happy to finally be working in the field she's trained so long for. Little does she know she's about to have an encounter with a boss from hell. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Garvener. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I'm so glad to be back doing this podcast. It's so much fun, but I did need my break. But someone I never need a break from is walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Here are more of our Oregon Ghost Conference live event attendees. I know that's kind of a weird title, but these are people who came to see me live at the Oregon Ghost Conference. That was a lot of fun, and I got to meet some of you walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now. Everyone give it up for Brady and August. Woohoo! Yeah! Wee! You're doing cartwheels, they're jumping, they're showing off, really. Bunch of, bra- bunch of braggarts. Coming into Dead Rabbit Command, Brady and August, you guys are going to be our captains, our pilots this episode. If you guys can't support the show by showing up to a live event or support the show financially via Patreon, that's totally fine. It really is. I truly do mean that. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. That's another way you can help the show grow. Be part of the fluffle. I'm trying to introduce that. I know I mentioned that a long time ago. Fluffle is a group of wild rabbits, and I think that's going to be the name. People are like, oh, come on, man. Don't call us the Fluffle. Fluffle's dope. I like that name. Honestly, I should have been using it this entire time. But while you type out an email explaining why there's probably not a good idea for a group of people promoting a podcast, you're like, hey, guys, you want to join the Fluffle? Listen to this podcast. People are like, I don't want to join the Fluffle. Anyways, you're all part of the fluffle. You got no choice. It's too late. You already listened to one episode. Brady and August, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jet. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Everyone climb on board as we take off and fly all the way out to a neighborhood. Probably probably not the best vehicle to pick if we're just going to go to a neighborhood. Uh... Brady overshoots it about three or four times before August is finally able to locate a proper airport to land in. And then we got to catch a taxi out to this house. But we're headed out to this neighborhood. We don't have an exact location for this story. It's something that I imagine would have made the papers locally. But I don't think, I mean, it might not even take place in the United States. But I'm sure this was a big story locally. But we don't know how long ago this happened or really what state or even country it took place in. But we're in this neighborhood. And we're about to meet this kid. His name is Jerry. Jerry tells this story about what happened when he was in high school. He's at home with his family. And right across the street from Jerry's house... 
there lived a family of four. And there was a husband, a wife, and two kids who were under the age of 10 living in this house. Jerry doesn't say that they were like friends, they're hanging out or anything like that. But he knew of them. He knew of them. They were directly his neighbor. Definitely knew the family as far as like a casual acquaintance would go. Well, one night, Jerry is awoken by the sounds of a fire nearby. A roaring flame wakes him up. A glow emanating through the windows of Jerry's house. His whole family's awake. And they're staring at this fire that has engulfed the home of four people living across the street from them. I imagine you would stay in your house if another house was on fire, like, and it was directly, like, you're not worried about your house catching on fire. Because when I read this, I thought, well, wouldn't you be in the front yard? Wouldn't you be in the front yard? (laughs) Like, Jason, no, that's the worst place to be in a fire. Closer to it. You you don't want to be getting closer to the fire. They stayed in their house. Jerry said him and his whole family were in their house and they were watching their neighbor's house burn down. It was this violent fire. And Jerry goes, we're watching this horrific display of natural destruction. The firefighters apparently haven't gotten there yet. And they see, standing in one of the bedrooms, a little girl. Fire slowly devouring this home they see this little girl standing in this bedroom and she's just kind of standing there motionless by her window and there was so much smoke in her room that you couldn't really see it was one of the little children right it's one of the kids uh, this one of them was a girl under the age of 10 she's standing there but you can only see her silhouette because smoke is just billowing into this room and yet the fire behind her illuminated enough that you could see the silhouette of this little girl standing in the window. And he goes, we were in our house screaming, jump out, jump, jump, get out of there, jump, jump. And we're just like crying and panicked and screaming. And the little girl never moved. As the fire raged behind her. I imagine it was a second story house because if it was like in a first story house, you wouldn't say jump. You just say like, walk out of your window, just smash it. Eventually the firefighters get there. They're putting out the blaze and you can only hope that everyone was all right. right? You're not going to go to bed after that as the fire engines are pulling up. You're like, well, I got school tomorrow. I'm going to go to sleep. You would stay up and watch the events unfold. And the firefighters go into the house and they're spraying water everywhere. Go upstairs, Jerry. Check check the stuff up there. And then you, Jim, go in the basement and spray water down there. And they're like, yes, Captain. And they're all like putting fires out. But when the fires are all extinguished, it's a more horrific incident than anyone in the neighborhood could have thought. And that's because the four members of this family were already dead when the fire started. The fire seemed to have been started to cover up A multiple homicide. Now, it's interesting because Jerry doesn't go into a lot of details as far as that goes. He doesn't say it was like a murder, triple homicide, like one of the parents killed everyone else. 
or if it was a intruder into the house, you think that would be more like an intruder thing, right? You're going to go in, you're going to annihilate an entire family, and then you burn the place down, so there's no fingerprints. Maybe it was a homicide, maybe it was a quadruple homicide, maybe it was a murder, triple suicide. Tragic, either way. But we don't know. We don't actually have that uh, story to it. We don't have the details of it. There would be a difference if if you thought the murderer was still loose. Right? It's like, okay, guys, it was a quadruple homicide. We have zero suspects. Good night, everybody, and all the firefighters and the police department leave. It could have been like a drug deal gone wrong. Could have been all sorts of things. Could have been all sorts of things. But anyways, the point is this entire family was killed before the fire was even started. So the idea was, oh, and when they went up into that upstairs bedroom where that little girl's silhouette was seen, yeah, she was already dead. Her body was crumpled in the corner of the room when when the fire was started. So what was that silhouette standing at that second story window? I'm a ghost, you would assume, right? That that would be a quick turnaround for a ghost. We've seen ghost stories that happen like that. We covered a story right before the end of season 20 where that young man killed himself and his ghost immediately appeared. His girlfriend saw him look at his own dead body and just look really sad and then he disappeared. So you can have a quick turnaround for ghosts. Some people think, oh no, ghosts are from like Renaissance times, like Queen Mary or whatever. Some woman got her head chopped off and now she's haunting edinburgh castle or whatever no i mean we do have stuff like that but we also have instantaneous ghosts and that would be bad enough right if you happened to live next door to a place where a bunch of people got murdered yes that is bad enough it's definitely gonna ruin your uh property value it's also gonna make it hard to go to sleep because you would constantly be thinking oh man like those people totally got murdered you would eventually move on with your life but this neighborhood couldn't do that this neighborhood couldn't move on because it wasn't just a single girl ghost haunting this area. And at this point, so remember the house caught on fire. Eventually they tore the house down. So now it's just an empty lot. And Jerry goes, oh my God, it was, if you thought that was bad, if you thought an entire family being murdered and then burned, their bodies burned while a phantom watches, presumably the phantom of the little girl watches from the smoke filled room. That wasn't even the worst part. Well, the family getting killed was pretty bad, but (laughs) Jerry's super insensitive. Not me, not me, it's him. Jerry goes, that's not even the worst part. He goes, that lot became an empty lot. And Jerry didn't say it happened every night, but he said it happened a lot. Happened a lot, and it happened for years. And it was so incessant that after a couple years, Jerry's family, who lived across the street, there were, you know, homes closer to this one that were on their side of the street. Jerry's family, a couple years after this tragedy happened, this house burned down, all these people died, they moved away from the area. And he goes, it wasn't the only reason. (laughs) When we decided to move, one of the reasons (laughs) was the constant screaming. So... He said, what would happen? It happened not every night, but it happened a lot. You'd be sitting there comfortable in your own house. And it would usually happen between 1 to 3 a.m. I don't know if it's 1 to 3 a.m. I don't know if it lasted two hours each time it happened. But he goes, it'd be late at night. It'd be between 1 to 3 a.m. You would hear sobbing. 
you would hear the sound of uncontrollable mourning coming from this empty lot. And, like, that's bad enough. That's, like, spooky enough. But you would also hear screaming. You'd hear people screaming at the top of their lungs. And, you know, the first couple times you'd think, oh, what, is there, like, neighbors doing something crazy out there? (laughs) I mean, I had a bad problem with my last neighbors. I don't know how well that rest of that block is. What could be going on? The first couple times you heard someone screaming outside your house right across the street, You'd be alarmed, but after, after I don't know, maybe the first six months, you'd be like, oh, no, it's the screaming again. I sure do miss the cry. I sure do miss the mourning, the sobbing. At least I can kind of fall asleep to that. It's some sort of twisted ASMR. But a uh, human being screaming in the middle of the night. Can't sleep to that. Super annoying. And a tragic reminder of the events that happened there. But it wasn't just screaming. And it wasn't just sobbing. It was, and arguably the creepiest of all of them. Imagine this, imagine this. You're asleep at night. You're taking a nice snoozer in the middle of the night. And then at one in the morning, you hear a human scream right outside your house. Ah! (laughs) It doesn't sound like a video game character falling off a cliff. It sounds like a real-life scream coming from outside your house. Super creepy, right? You're going to go out and check. Or maybe not. Maybe you'll call the police and say, I heard someone screaming. Or you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear someone crying really loudly. <laughs> it's a little less creepy. So here's the thing. If you, want, if you go, oh no, and you went outside and that is, someone crying late at night isn't creepy in and of itself. But if you went outside and there was no one there, but you still heard the sobbing, that's creepy because now it's paranormal. The person screaming, we just go, oh, no, someone's being brutalized out there. Someone crying, you're like, ah, someone probably like stubbed their toe or broke their heart or something like that. But what's creepier? Hearing a screaming coming from nowhere right outside your house. Hearing someone sobbing, (laughs) sobbing uncontrollably, but it's coming from nowhere right outside your house. Or... It's the middle of the night, and you hear, <laughs> like Jason, those first two are way scarier. You totally built it up. You're like, what could it be? Could it be a man? The sound of a man being tortured? Could it be the sound of a woman begging for her life? You either can choose to hear a screaming from coming from nowhere, someone crying coming from nowhere, or to me, creepier, The sound of an ice cream truck. (laughs) The sound of an ice cream truck driving by your house. (laughs) You're like, Jason, that's normal. Those things exist. I mean, screams exist and crying exists, but... No, but see, you forget. It's between 1 and 3 in the morning. And in the middle of the night, coming from nowhere, there's no way to place the sound... <laughs> like Jason, that's not even the song. Do you even know what the song is? Whatever. Paul goes the weasel. The hen and the cattle go round and round, round and round. Whatever it is. Oh, the cow. That's it. The cow kicked Nelly in the belly in the barn. Oh, the cow kicked Nelly in the belly in the barn. Okay, it'd be ten times creepier if you heard the lyrics. 
You heard me outside your house. You're like, what? Jason's here. Oh, that's, I'm a little disturbed. Racking the shotgun. You're hearing the cow kicked Nellie in the belly in the barn. Oh, the cow kicked Nellie in the belly in the barn. But it's the instrumental version. Driving around your neighborhood. Not even driving around your neighborhood. <laughs> the first couple times you'd be super excited. You run out with a handful of ones. You're like, yay, ice cream at one in the morning. What have I done to deserve such a treat? And then you run outside and you just hear... You're like, what? I've been, I've been fooled eight times this month. There must be something paranormal afoot. You're all disappointed. You didn't get ice cream. You didn't get one of those Ninja Turtle popsicles with the gumball eyeballs. This is fascinating because we have basically... I mean, unless the ice cream man murdered this family for unpaid bills. He's like, I've been fronting you a lot of fudge bars lately. You guys got to pay up. Unless the ice cream man murdered this family, which if that was the case, would totally be in the story. That'd be the headline of the story. You'd be like, yeah, ice cream man murdered a bunch of people. Definitely national news at that point, international news. If the ice cream man murdered them, it would make sense that the ice cream man music is included in the haunting, but I don't think that's what's going on. I think you have this family that was brutally slaughtered in this house. House was burnt down, and you hear the wailing moans and the screams and the pleads for mercy, and you hear the screams echoing through the city streets. I think the sound of the ice cream truck is almost like a representation of the children's innocence. But whatever the case was, the, <laughs> Jerry's family was done with it. They couldn't do it anymore. The screaming and the ice cream truck, they keep getting fooled. They're like, oh man. I don't even know if an ice cream truck operated in that area, which would be even crazier. I'd like to know more about this crime and I, I'd, I'd go check this place out. <laughs> Apparently there's ice cream. I mean, how many ghost hunts can you go on where you get a tasty, tasty treat? But a fascinating story all around. And yeah, I would want to visit there. I wouldn't want to live next to it. I, I, I mean, let me give credit to Jerry was the fake name. It was written by someone online who goes by the name Ochi927. But And it's funny, this story also reminded me, I'll put this episode in the show notes, it's another creepy one. Because you could say, we don't know if this story's true. There's some elements you think, oh, that would be in the news. You know, the screaming, the screaming from the empty lot. I did a story a long time ago, it was about 100 episodes ago, um, called Music from Heaven Screams from Hell, about a organ grinder. This is like old-timey stuff when people still paid to watch a guy crank it, crank a little box on the street. Um, this organ grinder, there was a story that this house was haunted by this organ grinder and like three kids because they had all been brutally murdered and late at night you could hear this screaming and this chaotic organ, like harpsichord type music coming from the house. This was, that was one of the stories that I had enough information on. I was able to find the news articles from the murder and this took place like in the 1920s or something like that. I read it on like the Shadowlands or some ghost hunting website, thought it was a cool story. <laughs> Apparently I have a thing for home invasions. I thought it was a cool story, but I wanted to know if it was real and it was. Like the ghostly haunting part of it you could obviously debate that, but the crime itself happened. So unfortunately, this type of stuff happens. I'll put that episode in the show notes. Brady and August, let's go ahead and toss you guys the keys to the world.
famous carpenter copter. We are leaving behind this neighborhood. We all are eating ice cream. Yum, yum, yum. We got it from somewhere. We're leaving behind this neighborhood. Fly us all the way out. Overseas. That's about as good as a description as we have of the location of the story. Overseas. We're somewhere overseas. The year is 2021. We're about to meet this young woman. Her name is Emily, and she has gotten a new job. That's what's taken her overseas, and she is so excited. She is so excited to be starting this new job, new opportunity, new place. It's like you just get to start over. Everything seems so fresh and so new. And she meets her new boss, her team leader. Now, she doesn't give her her name, right? We're calling her Emily. She doesn't give the boss's name. We're going to call her Joan. And, you know, things are going okay. But after six months, Emily starts to realize... Well, she doesn't put it together at first. She doesn't put it together at first that these two things are related. But her new job and her new boss... We'll put those in category... (laughs) We'll put those in category A... In category B is a new problem that's arisen after about six months. She's beginning to have hallucinations. She's beginning to see demonic figures stalking her. And you wouldn't put two and two together, right? We don't know what type of job she has. Let's just say, for example, what would it really wouldn't matter unless she's an exorcist. Wouldn't matter if she's working at a research laboratory or a Macy's or, you know, an agriculture center. It doesn't matter. Um, Demonic entities, (laughs) seeing demonic entities on the peripheral of your vision and then eventually seeing them full body in front of you, you wouldn't go, hmm, this must be related to my work folding towels at the local Mervins. You would not put those two and two together. She's starting to see hallucinations. She's starting to see these demonic entities stalking her and then they begin attacking her. They begin attacking her, and she says that she could feel the physical pain when they stung her. They're actually putting needles into her body, and she was being filled with what she called, quote, dirty energy. Because she's seeing these demonic entities, and she's being physically attacked by them, she does what you would think you would do, or what you should do, I guess, depending on your uh, religious beliefs, but pray. I'm sure if you're a hardcore atheist and all of a sudden the devil showed up and starts attacking you, jabbing you with a pitchfork or whatever, you'd probably pray. You might think you're going crazy. I think most people, regardless of what religion they're in, they had a full-on hallucination like that. They'd think they were going crazy. But but I think if you even had a passing knowledge of theology, you would be like, well, you know, I've tried a lot of stuff. Um, the, the devil's still chasing me down the street. I might as well try praying. But her prayers don't work. She's still seeing the demonic entities. And they're still physically and mentally, spiritually, all of it, attacking her. Emily eventually believes she's discovered the source of these attacks and it's Joan her boss at work and it's Joan her boss she states in very certain terms 
that Joan is a, quote, human-demon hybrid. Generally referred to as the Nephilim. But Nephilim are also generally referred to being like 10 to 13 feet tall. I've never personally believed that every Nephilim must be a giant. Because that's not that's not specifically said in the scripture. But um, I, 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 I don't. I, it's so funny because when I was reading this, uh, we did a story recently, and I'll put it in the show notes, about a woman who saw lizard people in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I had such a blast telling it. It was one of my favorite stories recently. It was one of the best episodes to end season 20 on because I just had so much fun. I think she, I definitely think she believed in what she was seeing. And I think that, I don't think she was, you know what I mean? Like I believe that she believes what she saw, but I think she was misreading situations because even the way she wrote it, it was real tenuous. And I had a blast reading it. This one is more, it's weird because it's a little more depressing. It's a little darker because while the woman in New Mexico was like, I'm just living my life and these reptilians are coming after me. Emily's really, by the time she's typing this out, this is very recently posted. um, She's at her end. I mean, this thing half reads like a, a rant and half reads like a suicide note. Now she's still, as of recording this, she's still alive. I've seen she's posted other stuff in recent days, and hopefully she continues on that journey. This is one of those stories that, while I do believe that there could be reptilian aliens out there, the Santa Fe, New Mexico reptilians, it was just kind of this weird story. This story, not just because I believe in demon, because I do believe that there's possibly reptilians on Earth. Um, this story just, to me, it's so interesting because on the one hand, I don't believe it hook, line and sinker, but I believe there could be something to it. I could believe there could be a broader thing to it, but yeah, it's just interesting. That was a weird aside for the middle of the story. Let me continue here. Let's keep going on. She starts to suspect Joan, her team leader is actually behind this and she's a human demon hybrid. And what Joan is able to do is she's able, not just able, she's an expert at traveling through the astral realm. And that's how she's able to attack Emily wherever she's at. Like, no matter what Emily's doing, these attacks are constant. Because on the astral realm, distance means nothing. And things get so bad that Emily ends up quitting her job. Emily ends up saying, I can't do this anymore. Which would make sense if your boss was a human-demon hybrid. But it's interesting to look at it from the outside. Like, how would you explain that to people? Like, I imagine the people in Emily's life thought she was losing her mind. If she's even telling people this, right, in public. Or even in private. You'd be like, you know, you travel overseas, you got the job, what happened? Well, I started being attacked by demons, and I think my boss was behind it. That would make you... If somebody, as much as I believe in this type of stuff, if a friend of mine told me that, I'd be very concerned for their mental health. Very concerned for their mental health. Even though I believe in the ideas, everything they said, each individual item, I would be like, uh... Because I, you know, there's a whole lot of things. Like, are they seeing demons now? Are they going to think I'm sending demons after them? Am I in jeopardy? So, it's an interesting thing. But anyways, um... 
you'd have to be thinking that she quits the job. And when she, when she says she quit the job, she says that she did it specifically because of the spiritual attacks. Everything else in the job is working for her, except for this constant torment, which to be fair, which to be fair, it's the only reason, right? You don't need to be like, and I didn't get paid enough. If you were being attacked by demons and you thought it was from your job, you want to be like, I'm going to make a list of the pros and cons for this job. Measure it out. She said after she quit the very next day, I actually forgot about this part. Looking at my notes, this is interesting. She says when she quit the job the very next day, she was alone and she felt a... It's so funny, I totally forgot about this part. She felt a 16-foot-tall entity appear in the room. So that is kind of like the the old definition of a Nephilim. Totally, totally splanked on that. Even in my own notes, even in my own notes, I'm being surprised and amazed by these stories. She goes, I felt, she didn't see it, but she felt a huge, powerful entity appear and she felt just the energy, the raw power from it, that it was about 16 feet tall and it pushed her down. This force actually knocked her off of her feet reached into her, quote, spiritual brain and then tore it out of her body. She said since then, she can no longer feel her heart in her body. She believes there is a void there. And that all of her cognitive abilities have been reduced. Since this force pushed her down and ripped her soul asunder, not only can she not feel her own heartbeat, not only does she feel dumber, and maybe not just dumber, but also creatively and the sense of wonder and all of that, her cognitive abilities across the board reduced. Not only have those two things happened, she said, day by day, I'm starting to feel demonic myself. It's super interesting, isn't it? You could, I think, the skeptical argument, there was some serious health crisis here. Like a stroke or something. Some sort of medical event coupled with something else schizophrenia or medical event mixed with some sort of other mental illness. And the thing is, is like if you were already thinking you were being plagued by demons and they were attacking you and you had a miniature stroke, would you go to the doctor? Like, would you try? You'd be like, well, all all those demons over there in that building, they're trying to kill me. But maybe if I walk into this building full of people I've never met before wearing white coats and tell them about my problems, they'll clearly help me. I imagine that the paranoia spreads. And she goes, listen, you know, this story started in 2021. Well, it started about, you know, she's in 2021, she got the job. Six months were fine. And then since then, it's been this downward descent. She goes, it's never let up. It's never, ever let up. She posted this in March of 2023. And it's still ongoing. Like she is at the end. And it's sad, right? That's a, it's a sad thing to see. 
when, you know, she's looking for answers. And the thing is, she posted this online. The, the name she went by was Foundation Naive 5502. She posted this on the Demonic Help subreddit. And, you know, I, I'm a member of this subreddit. The problem is, is that I see posts like this pop up. It's fascinating. But what help do you offer? You know, first off, I'm just a dude, right? I'm like a paranormal researcher guy. Um, a lot of times I'll post, if people look at my posting history and stuff, I'll talk about, you know, just, I'll always say, seek out your spiritual advisor, like wherever that is, whatever your religion is, that's your first step, I think. Because in most of them, most of the competent ones, you talk to them, and if they detect you're in some sort of mental health crisis, they'll they'll make sure the right people get involved as well. Right. If they if you walk in and it looks like you had a stroke, 99 percent of religious leaders aren't going to be like, well, let's just keep throwing holy water down your nose until the stroke goes away. There it is. Like, you got to go to the doctor. You got to go to the doctor like I will pray on the way to on the ambulance picks you up. Well, I'll go with you. We'll pray. But a lot of times they see someone coming with signs of schizophrenia. They'll they may be thinking, you know, this could be demonic, but they're also thinking it's probably schizophrenia. And that's why the Catholic Church, a lot of their exorcists one of the things they do is ruling out all of the mental health stuff. They're not taking advantage of that. I mean, not anymore. Um, but anyway, so she posts this and a lot of times you just are like, yeah, like that sucks. What help do you offer her? She went to psychics, which, you know, again, you go to your spiritual advisor. If you're agnostic or if you don't believe in any organized religion, a psychic would be your spiritual advisor. It would be somebody to go to. And again, as long as they're not a crook, hopefully they also say, well, you know, you might want to check in with the psychiatrist she goes none of these none of these psychiatrists said this or at least that she reported she goes she visited multiple psychics and she goes it's never stopped since it started it's at this point now 24 hour seven day a week harassment and she goes listen there's other stuff that's happening to me physically i don't even want to talk about which fair fair enough right she's having these other things she believes these demons are doing her and that's her business but the reason why I include that, because it's worse than she's letting on. It's worse than she's letting on. She said she talked to several psychics and she asked, why am I being targeted? Which is a good question. First thing I'd want to be is to make it stop. How do we make it stop? But I think you'd also be like, why me? And multiple psychics, according to Emily, said she was jealous of your light. She was jealous of the light inside of you and wanted to corrupt it. But when she asked each of these psychics, how do I stop it? None of them could help her. Which is interesting, if you think about it. None of them could offer her a solution. She said specifically, beyond this advice, no one could give me any more advice or help. No one could pick up this entity occupying me and suffocating me with it, with its energy. And that's interesting because you figure at least one or two of the psychics would be like, oh, if you want to get that out of you, you go to the bank. Give me all the money that you earned on that job and I'll take care of it. Like she's not even getting swindled by these psychics. They're just like, I can't help you. Now it's possible. They're giving her advice she doesn't want to take. Not necessarily swindling, but, you know, you, you might want to go see a medical professional. Who knows, right? Who knows what's going on? But she cannot get any help. She's prayed 
It hasn't gone away. She's talked to psychics. It hasn't gone away. And she says this is going on and it's just driving her nuts. Literally driving her nuts for two reasons. One is a sense that Joan is getting away with it. It's interesting. That's I, I hadn't thought about that. It wasn't just the fact that Emily was under constant assault. It was that she was under constant assault and there was n- not just nothing she could do to stop the assault, but nothing she could do to punish Joan. The police won't arrest her. She can't sue her. This is what she says. She says, quote, I just wish retribution would come to her in some form. I have lost everything. While she will carry on living her life, while she will carry on living her life unaffected, with the smugness that she will never be held accountable, even though she has completely destroyed a life. And that's the first thing that gets her, right? Her life, you know, who knows? So that's interesting, right? All we know from this story is that, I mean, it'd be a pretty bad life, right? But she's quit her job. She's under constant demonic attack. But when she's talking about completely destroyed her life, I wonder what it's done to her personal relationships. I wonder what it's done for her housing situation. I wonder how bad things have gotten for Emily. Because at this point, remember, it's been a year and a half, this constant harassment's going on. It would have to bleed over into her normal day-to-day life. You couldn't act normal. The first six months, eight months, you could probably tank it. I don't know. I've never been harassed by demons. I've never been poked by demons. But you might be able to ignore it for a bit. But eventually, even if you tried hiding it, people are going to pick up that you are making some weird decisions. And when they ask you about it, you either lie to them and they can tell you're lying or you tell them the truth, and now they're even more concerned. So she's, her two big issues right now, and again, she's talking in in very dark terms as far as where she feels out in her life. One, that Joan is getting away with it, and Joan will always get away with it, because no one will ever stop her. She's going to live the rest of her life while mine is ending. The second thing, The second thing that is tormenting Emily. And maybe this is the, maybe this will be the motivation to keep her alive. Is that she believes that Joan is now targeting Emily's niece, a two-year-old girl is currently being attacked by demonic forces. Fascinating story, right? Whether you believe it or not. Because on the one hand, we have a story of the world of the paranormal, of a demonic-human hybrid just attacking people because they're jealous. It's such a petty human emotion destroying a woman's life. And now, as Emily is really at the end of a rope, now targeting a two-year-old child, the same demonic entity is extending its power over this family. 
And on the one hand, you could think, well, I don't want to say good, but that might help keep Emily afloat. Emily might stick around and not take her own life because she has to defend her niece. She can't leave her niece to the same predations that she's gone through. So it's possible that by targeting the two-year-old, Joan has actually spurred Emily to stick around and to fight. If not for her own sake, the sake of her niece. But it's also possible that this story is a story of mental illness. And the story of a woman in a severe health crisis. Who's had both physical issues. I keep bringing up the stroke, but I mean to just be standing in a room and all of a sudden feel this pressure and crumple down and your cognitive abilities, according to you, your cognitive abilities have been reduced and you can't feel parts of your body. There's physical ailments that will match that, coupled with the stress of traveling to a new area. Joan's probably Joan's probably a bad boss, right? She's probably not the most pleasant person to work for, demonic hybrid or not. From the skeptic answer, you go, this young woman travels overseas, gets a new job, gets a new boss. It's her first time really out and about in the world. The stress gets to her, which triggers an already underlying mental illness that had gone undiagnosed. And now she's suffering other physical illnesses Either related or unrelated, it could just be a weird coincidence or there could be something major going on. But here's a woman in a severe crisis. And instead of getting treated, she's visiting psychics and blaming a boss of a job she quit a year ago. And now, the skeptic would say, not only is this delusion taken over her own mind, not only is this delusion kept her from seeking help for her physical and mental well-being, She states in the same passage that she feels like she's becoming more demonic and she feels like her two-year-old niece is being targeted by demons as well. If this is a story of the paranormal, it can be the story of a young woman who outlasts the torment to ensure the safety of her niece. But if this is a story of mental illness, it could be the story of a woman who believes that she's been possessed by demons and she wants to spare her niece the same torment that destroyed her own life. One is a story of hope fighting against the forces of darkness. The other story is a true crime headline that could be published any day now. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. Don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. (laughs) 